You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Welcome to the online community. Welcome to those of you in the room from myself. I'm Libby. I'm the online pastor, which is why I love those guys. They're the OG. Um, And it's so great to be with you again in Central. I'm part of the North site when I'm not online. And so to be with you guys in person. I am here by the grace of God, the power of prayer and the the sustenance of Pro Plus. I've had a week of it, but we are here. And I'm asking, would you give me grace? (laughs) Um, Sickness hit our household like a freight train. And so we're, we're going with it. We've got something and we're going to go on a journey together. So are we ready? Are we ready to go on a journey together? Yes, please. Great. So we are continuing on in our series in the book of James and we're looking at authentic faith and we're going to get straight into it. But as I said, we're going on a journey this morning and that's how I'm going to take us uh, today through the passage. It's not a neat three-point sermon. We're just going to kind of meander through what James has to say and see how that applies to our lives. And just a heads up, this is... um, This is going to bring some discomfort, but in scripture, there are times where that happens. And in my personal life, as I've been going through this, it's like, whoa, I felt convicted. I've had to wrestle with it, but also I've really known the grace of God and the kindness of God in that as well. And so we balance that, but there is going to be like a a wrestle. Let's go with that. Okay. So James chapter four, verse one to 12, submit yourselves to God and it should come up on the screen. There we go. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? That just means that we're against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? (laughs) I'm hearing an audible sigh. (laughs) Let me pray. Father God, we need you. We need you. That's what we've already been singing about. That's what we've already been proclaiming this morning. We need you. And at the very crux of this scripture lies the heart cry of your people we need you lord and so god we come to you afresh submitted to you saying lord would you 
unearth the stuff that just needs to be gone? Would you bring a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit in our lives? Would you wake us up to the reality of who you are and who we are in the light of who you are? Holy Spirit, would you brood in this place? Would you fill us? Would you show us your ways and your will? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is James saying here? Whenever I say James, I always think of you, James, so I might just keep looking at you. James in the Bible. Um, So what is he saying here? Let's be honest, he's not pulling any punches, is he? He's not. He's gone to town here. But let's break it down. What we're, what we're seeing him is that he's a continuation. If you, want, if you want to be authentic in your faith, then you have to abandon the God of self, selfish desire, and submit to God in your entirety. That's, that's what he's saying in a nutshell here. He's showing that we cannot serve two masters, that our betrothal is either to God or to the world. It can't be both. That's basically what he's saying. That's the crux of it. And James is a master when it comes to bringing vision in this moment. When you look at somebody who brings vision, they don't just say where you need to go because often people are like, I'm happy here, I'm chill here, it's good here, I don't need to go there, I'm, I'm good here. But what James is saying is he's bringing reality into point A. He's like, this is the reality of the situation. This is where you've been, like we're sinners. We've been saved by God. This is the reality of the situation, but this is where we're going. And this is why we're going there. And this is how we're getting there. And this is the glory of point B. That's what he's doing. He's taking us from a place of reality and saying, let's not settle for this place. Let's move to this place because this is where God is. And this is what we're kind of doing um, through this scripture this morning. We're going on a journey from point A of realizing and wrestling with the reality of where we are and going on that journey to point B, the better place that James is calling us into, that God is calling us into. So as in any journey, we have to gain our bearings, don't we? And that's what we're doing. We're gaining our bearings through this scripture this morning. We're in a place of A, not great, and we want to get to place B, better with God. That's our bearings. So we know where we need to go. So how do we do that? We're going to dig a little bit, dig, dig a little bit deeper. So I think what James is really asking us to do in our journey towards God in this area is that we get some perspective, that we get the right way of thinking and understanding the place that we operate from and our thinking and understanding of who we are in light of who God is. That's the perspective ultimately that he's wanting us to gain. Now James is speaking of that into the context of conflict. And the commentators would say that it's not necessarily to a huge group of people that he was writing to, but there would have maybe been a smaller pocket in the church. But James knows that this isn't something that we're not a void of in our lives. That at any given point, there's going to be moments of conflict in our life. There's going to be areas where we face this, whether it's not directly now, in the future or in the past, we will have faced conflict. And so he wants us to deal with that well. But really... What's more, the point that he's primarily trying to speak to is the condition of the heart. The root that he's trying to pull out in this scripture is the pers- and the perspective that he's trying to help us catch is what is it that motivates us in these moments? That's really the crux of what James is speaking into in this passage. What causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? That's, it. That's the beginning bit. That's what he's rooting this in. And it spins, it spins, 
it rings, it speaks, <laughs> of the wisdom in uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. James knows that when our desires are not aligned with God, the consequences are that they pull us away from God and they pull us away from others. And what we do in either relationship affects the other. So when we're in the right space with God, that overflows to others. And when we're not in a good space with God, that affects our relationships with others and our relationship with God. So I think what James is saying here in this moment is he's saying, get to know yourself. Get to know your desires. Get to know where they come from. As Pete Scazzaro, who authored the Emotionally Healthy series, he is a brilliant author. He is like a leading expert on some of this stuff. So if you haven't heard of him, Google him, read some books. Brilliant. Um, but he said this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And that reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while you remain emotionally immature. It's true. <laughs> and when Dave Hall and I were speaking about this, we both had the same passage. You're getting the B team. He's already preaching at the site, sorry. But he was talking um, about uh, this, um, and we, we were kind of wrestling with it together. And he mentioned a phrase that he'd heard of, you can't defeat what you can't define. You can't defeat what you can't define. And I think that is so true when it comes to laying down our desires, when it comes to aligning them with the will of God, we have to know what they are. We have to understand what's going on internally. And there is a little bit of discomfort involved in this. Some of you in this room will be like, yes, I love this. I love some introspection. I love just sitting with the Lord and just figuring out what's good and what's bad and what's ugly and what's everything in between. Give me that. Give me a solitude retreat in a like, monastery. I'm all for that. Some of you are loving this. Others are like, this is the worst thing possible. I don't want to spend silence thinking about my desires. I don't want to do that. But I think when we, we have to begin to wrestle with ourselves in this, the more that we get to know the terrain of our lives, the more that we have the language around what we feel, the more that we are then able to lay that down to God and let him speak into that and let him help us to navigate that with others. You know, God gave us the gift of our mind to help us understand our hearts so that we're not ruled by it in the wrong way. And he gives us the counselor and the guide of the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to unpick that, the good, the bad, and surrender it to him. And it looks maybe a little something like this. Perhaps you're in a work meeting and Barry, I feel like Barry gets a hard time in this church. Barry and Sally, they always get a hard time. Let's say Alan. Alan uh, has, you know, you're sat in a meeting, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I've got this really great idea. I really want to share it. Um, this is going to be like game changer for the team. And then Alan pipes up and he has the same idea and he shares it and everyone's like, yes, Alan, this is really, really great. And you're like sitting there fuming because you're like, I had that idea. I was going to change the dynamic of the team. I was really chuffed with that thing that I was going to say, but Alan got there first. And in that moment, you can have a couple of options, can't you? You can be like, oh, Alan. And that kind of fury can kind of fester within you and you're like, I'm not going to spend time with you, Alan. I'm not going to cooperate on your, my idea, Alan. You can, you can kind of go into that territory. Or you could be a little bit snidey, and as you come out of the meeting, you'd be like, oh, but Alan, 
always with his ideas, eh, Alan? And you can begin to kind of root some kind of, uh, like, not helpful speech within your team. There's a whole bunch of things that you can do with that in that moment. But when we kind of put this passage into practice in our lives, what we do in that moment is we actually say, and it might not be in the moment, we have to go away sometimes, but it might just be like, oh, God, I'm feeling really jealous of Alan. Why am I feeling jealous of Alan? I think what it is is that I'm feeling not seen, I'm not feeling heard, I'm maybe feeling some dejection in this moment. I wanted that moment. And then we begin to give that to God and we say, God, can you make that right? Can you help me know the truth that I'm seen and I'm known and I'm heard by you and that's all that matters? And Lord, would you help take that envy and would you help take that frustration that I have towards Alan? Would you help turn that into celebration that I can like champion Alan, that I can be like, yes, Alan, you've got the best idea and let's go with it. That's what it kind of looks like in reality. So we begin to figure out what is it that kind of is this desire, this emotional kind of reaction, and how do we submit that and understand what that is and then begin to give it to God? I am no expert on this. <laughs> but one of the gifts that depression gave me, actually, was the beginning of getting to grips with my own emotion and desires and understanding where they came from. And to be honest, at the beginning, I thought it was a little bit self-indulgent, a little bit too introspective. But what I found is that actually... It's been one of the greatest strengths in understanding where my desires are rooted and then being able to wrestle them with God. So what does that look like in real time for us this morning? I think for some of us, it's just crafting out some time to sit and to listen to our emotions, to ask the question why, to kind of wrestle with those things that we know we have in our hearts and in our minds. For some, it may be pursuing counseling, it may be pursuing spiritual direction, it may be reading around this so that we actually begin to understand some of this and understand why it's important in our life. Perhaps it's even prayer ministry if we know that we've got some emotional blockage in this area. Noticing when we have sensing a stronger emotion, sitting with it and discerning where it's coming from. And so as we gain some perspective around the why behind our desires, as we dig into the understanding of that, we also want to align our thinking and our understanding in the light and the perspective of who God is. You know, when you go on a journey, whether it's like you're out walking or you're flying or you're on a boat or something, very quickly you realize how small you are. You seem like, you know, you see the massive trees or the mountains or the earth or the sea below you and you're like, whoa, I am small and the world is big. And I think that's a perspective that James is also drawing us into when it comes to our um, perspective of who we are in the light of who God is, that we look and we're like, whoa, I'm small, but God is big. Chris and I, on our honeymoon, we went to Thailand, and uh, it was one of those trips where we were like, this is going to be one lifetime trip, and it was. Um, and everything was going swimmingly up until the point uh, a tour guide came and he was like, here's some excursions you might want to go on. And he said, you should, go to this, you should go to the islands where they filmed the beach and where Leonardo DiCappuccino, he called him DiCappuccino, um, was, I don't know if he was joking or if he was genuinely serious, but it made us laugh, um, where they filmed the beach. And so you should go on this excursion. We were like, yeah, we'd love to do that. You know, beautiful islands, sea, snorkeling, sweet, sign me up. So we did. We got to the harbor and then we uh, looked at the vessel that we were going on and the amount of people that were going on said vessel. And we were like okay, there is no health and safety here. And so we get on this speedboat size um, with like probably about 15 people more than should have been on the boat. 
We're like, right, we're in this, let's go. So off we go and everything's fine. It's beautiful, it's serene, lovely. Then the nausea starts to kick in and we're like, not feeling this at all. And then, you know, you kind of like just are like drawn to strangers and their anti-sickness drugs. And we're like, yeah, please just give us that. Don't take drugs from strangers, kids. Like, even if they're saying it's anti-sickness. I think it did help a little bit, but like, it was just going from bad to worse. And so we went snorkeling and that was okay. And then we got to the lunch bit and like, you know, the brochure was like this beautiful buffet of gorgeous food and idyllic kind of um, facilities. It was lukewarm. There were flies. It was not great. I'm not even going to talk to you about the toilets. We were just like, oh, just get us out of here. And so we, we ate the food. We ate the meat. <laughs> Why? And then we got back up on, on the boat. And then they were like, right, we're going to go see the monkeys. We're going to go do some more snorkeling. We're like, great, great, great. And so we got on the boat. And then all of a sudden, we were like, where is the island? Where are the monkeys? Because all we can see is pitch black all around us. And then the hail started. And I'm not talking like Scottish hail, I'm talking about tropical storm hail, where like it was hurting us. And then the waves started. And so we got like three, four, five meter waves in this tiny boat. Like we were being thrown into the air. Chris probably got mild concussion, like he got smacked into it. It was just like absolutely terrible. And in that moment, all I could think of was this is the end. and the guys were panicking and they were phoning for help and they were like, we need rescued. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, we've messed up. We've messed up. We've picked the wrong excursion. This is not what we were promised by any stretch of the imagination. And oh boy, do we need help. And help came, a huge vessel came. We had to jump onto this vessel. It was freezing cold. We were in shock, it was not great, but it got us back. And we're here. We're here to tell the tale. And it's all good. But how often in the journey of life do we have that moment where we're like, oh, man, I messed up. This is not what I thought it was going to be. And boy, do I need help. And I think what James does in this moment, in this scripture, is he kind of journeys us through that. And he journeys us through from this realization of like, oh, gosh, I messed up. This isn't what I was promised and I need help, and he journeys us so that we can get closer to God. Verse four, you know, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Who are you to judge your neighbor? That's the I've messed up moment. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's kind of the, this is not what I thought was promised moment. Like, I thought the world offered way better stuff, but actually what I'm getting is not what I thought was, you know, promised to me. And then he says, but submit to God, resist the devil, get clean, humble yourselves, understand your position. That's when we realize we need help. And so when we get a perspective shift that we recognize that we can't replace God with the world and we can't replace God with ourselves. And what James is doing, because I mean, the language is heavy, right? (laughs) And so just as we understand it, what he's basically saying is you're going against the law when you do, when you elevate yourself above God and you elevate yourself above others. And the law that he's talking about is that of when Jesus says, you know, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself is referencing the old covenant law in that of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where it says the very same things in that scripture. And so what James is saying is that you're going against the very thing that that Jesus has asked you to do. That's the severity of it. And when he talks about the devil, the word he uses for the devil is 
pool diablos, which is the Greek word for the slanderer. So he's like, when you slander a brother or sister, you're aligning yourself with the way of the enemy. That's what he's doing. That's what, that's what that language means in this scripture. And so the consequences of broken relationships, erosion of trust, and putting a barrier between us and God. And so that's why James goes hard on the humility front. It's because of the seriousness of living from a place of pure perspective and that we elevate ourselves above God, that we must understand the weight of that and humble ourselves and make ourselves right before him. Now, when you read this passage, if you've been around the Christian world in any way, shape, or form, you're like, but hang on a minute, that doesn't sound like what we're promised either. You know, the language of like grieve and mourn and wail. Like, I thought when you became a Christian, it's like, you know, you have joy and you have life to the fullness. Like, what is he talking about here? But I think what he's doing is he's aligning his wisdom to that of Paul's in Second Corinthians as well, where Paul says this, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. That's what he's talking about in this scripture. He's not saying abandon joy. He's just saying that when we have sorrow, godly sorrow, it leads us to a place of repentance, which ultimately leads us to a place of reconciliation with God. That is what he's talking about. It isn't sorrow for sorrow's sake. This isn't false humility or just feeling a depth of shame and guilt that binds us. That's what the world offers. But what James is saying is that we need a perspective shift in our sin that leads us to true repentance and change. That's basically what he's saying. And the purpose isn't to heap shame onto people. James isn't saying, you suck, you suck, and you suck. That's not what he's doing. But he's like, this is important because when we nail this, we move closer to God and the enemy loses his bearing on us. He loses his grip on us. There's, it's meaty, but there's purpose to it. And so when we gain a perspective of the journey that we're on, our standing with others and our standing before God, it's serious, but it's not without grace. It's not without grace. And so as we continue on that journey that we're on this morning towards God, we understand that we don't do this on our own. God's grace and his help is enough for us. When I was 17, I took part in Duke of Edinburgh. Has anyone done Duke of Edinburgh here? Yes. Well done, you survived. Good job. Um, and uh, as a taller person... For some reason, all the weight gets heaped onto you. And so, like, there was seven of us, and the taller ones got them all weight. So we were there, like, with our big bags, like, you know, chugging along first day. Everything was going well. Had about, this, you know, weight of a toddler on our back. And we're like, yeah, this is great. This is great. Cracked on in Cumbria. Beautiful scenery. All good. We get to the, almost the end of day one, and our campsite is not far away, and we have to navigate a field uh, of cows. And so it's like, great. Let's do this. And so uh, somebody's ahead of me and they're like, guys, it's getting really boggy. We need to just watch our footing. So I was like, great. Okay, cool, cool. And so I was tired by this point. I was heavy. My footing wasn't great. And I landed. I don't know if you've ever seen the Vicar of Dibley when she like jumps in what she thinks is a puddle and ends up to her neck. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. So I like stumble, la like land on my back like a tortoise with like this 17 kilogram weight pack on me, uh, neck deep in cow poo. And I was like, great. 
At this point, I'm just lying there, you know, thinking about my choices in life, thinking about just the brutality of this moment. And I'm like, oh, great, I need help. I really need help. This is a mess that I cannot get out of myself. I mean, I'm strapped into my bag. It is heavy on me. I am tired. I am, I'm not a walker. I'm not a hiker. I was like, oh, just, just no, end. And so my, my friends, they come, they pick me up, they pull me up. There's tears of both laughter and of just sheer guttedness. And then we make our way to the campsite and I'm looking through my pack and I'm like, my toothbrush is covered, my crockery is covered, everything's covered, it's day one. And so whilst I could clean some stuff myself and kind of make my way towards my end goal of the journey of Duke of Edinburgh, there was other stuff that the guys had to come and they had to completely give me brand new like I was not cleaning that toothbrush and using it like there had to be some stuff that was brand new that was you know fully new to me in the journey of life (laughs) sometimes we have things like that where we get into messes that we cannot clean ourselves and that we need full restoration we need full healing and cleansing that only the Lord can do that we can't do ourselves only he can do Change doesn't come from guilt-tripping ourselves into a better place with God. I would be gutted if anyone left this place this morning feeling anything less than what God says about you. This is heavy and this is full, but actually what it's leading us to is reconciliation and, um, and closeness to God. That's the point of this. It's not just to wallow in what we've done. It's to, it's to go on a trajectory towards God. Change and moving towards God comes when we understand that what the world offers doesn't satisfy. And it doesn't give us what we need. Only God can do that. What we need is a right perspective of God's grace and his power in our, to save in our lives to help us move closer to him that we run to the knowledge of who God is rather than just away from something that we know isn't right. We can't do this ourselves. We need him. Our repentance is our action towards him, but there are things that only he can clean, that only he can bring healing to, that only he can bring restoration. And as James says, the promise is this. In humility, God will lift us up. He will. There's no maybe. He will lift us up. In times of opposition, he will rescue us and draw near to us. I don't know if there's maybe some people who hear, need to hear that today. Maybe it feels like it's been a bit of a barrage. When we submit to the Lord, he promises that he will draw close to us and that the enemy will flee. That is the truth. That is a promise for you. And what I love is the language that James uses in this, and actually a lot of the commentators would say this as well, is very similar to the language used in the book of Hosea. If you're not familiar with the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, it's a prophetic story of a man named Hosea and his wife, Gomer. They have children together, and yet she leaves him for another man. And he's asked to pursue her and to win her back, even at great expense to himself. And the rest of the book lays out a warning to Israel about its behavior towards God, and it likens Israel's behavior to that of Gomer's. 
that it's betrayed God and that it's made its partnership with idols and political affiliations and, you know, with Assyria and with Egypt and just kind of getting stuck into that of the world. But what happens is God is likened to that of Hosea. The husband jilted, yet remaining faithful and pursuing his bride despite her actions. Hosea portrays deep truths about human nature, but most importantly, Hosea portrays deep truths about God's character. When we turn away from the world, we are turning to a God who, despite us messing up time and time again, pursues us out of love, pursues us out of mercy and compassion, despite jealously longing for the spirit that is within us, he doesn't give up on us. The book of Isaiah writes a story of a God who is never changing, who is merciful beyond what is deserved. And it points to the messianic king who will bring full restoration and salvation, Jesus. So what James is doing is he is painting, like, I mean, this scripture, it's 12 verses, but there is so much depth to it, like way beyond what we could go into this morning. But he's painting a picture layered with mercy and grace, that despite our shortcomings, if we humble ourselves in the right perspective of who we are in the light of who God is, he will restore us, he will cleanse us, he will heal us, and he will make us right and our desires and our will in alignment with him. And Jesus paints this picture um, so beautifully throughout his time and ministry on the earth. Jordan Singh talked about this, and I'm not even going to try and go there because he just did it so beautifully. So if you didn't hear Jordan Singh talk about grace, go and listen back to it on YouTube. But he mentioned this, you know, through the interactions of the woman caught in adultery, just the grace and the... um, the dignity that he gave her in that moment. He said sin no more. He understand that we don't want to let sin get in the way between us. But there was grace in that moment of pure vulnerability for that, for that woman. You know, when he washes the disciples' feet before they took communion, it serves as a reminder what he was going to do for them on the cross and for us on the cross, that he cleansed them just as he would through his death and resurrection. The act of washing the feet and breaking the bread acted as a reminder that when we draw close to Jesus, that we return to him, when we pick up the dirt of life on our feet, that we come to him and it's only him who can cleanse and restore. He has done the work on the cross. He has done the work in, through resurrection. But there are times where we need to draw close to him regularly so that he can wash our feet through the things that we pick up in life. You know, the very triumph of Jesus' resurrection, showing us that he defeated death. And so whilst the enemy prowls like a lion, hoping to devour and destroy, we can hold on to the truth that he is on a leash. And only the lion of Judah can drown out the enemy's counterfeit roar and cause him to flee. That is the God that we are running to prodigal son when you just think about that the beauty of that image of God the father that when we abandon what he has given us he opens his arms and he throws a party when we return to him that is our merciful God that is the God of grace that is the God who loves us and who despite what we do just draws us back into our into his arms so when James says this is what we need to run from We need to have a really clear perspective of what we are running to. That we have the Hebrew word yada, 
used in the book of Hosea, the intellectual and relational knowledge of who God is, that we can submit to him, trusting in who he says he is and who he says we are. And so as I finish, I just want to flip the script a little. When we go on this journey, as we are aligned to God's will and desire for us, we get to bring others with us. That's the beauty of this. Um, I just said to Todd just there, as I was writing this, I added this in right at the very last minute. And I was like, Lord, just confirm to me if this is right. And I was like, maybe if like, we sang the words, I speak the name of Jesus, that would be like a great confirmation. We just did. And as I said that to Tosh, she was like, oh, yeah, and Adrienne had a word about this. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm about to speak about. <laughs> and so maybe this is something, maybe it's nothing. But I was spending time with Adrienne recently, and she, you know, she was talking about the power of the fact that we as Christians speak Jesus. It's not just we speak the name of Jesus. I hope I'm not butchering this, Adrienne. But we speak the language of Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus. And it really stuck with me and it's really got me thinking. And I'm learning to speak French. Um, je parle un peu français. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, but I'm doing it because my husband is French speaking. And we're trying to teach our kids it. But also I'm, I'm trying to apply for Swiss citizenship. Uh, you know, Brexit and all. Um, and so uh, <laughs> when, I, when I apply for that, I need to not only have the language, but I also need to know a little bit about the culture as well. Like, I can't just wing it in the language because they'll know, they'll see right through me that I don't then have the culture that goes with it. So I need to know what the etiquette of a cheese fondue is. I need to know, you know, how to make a shukri. All of these different things. Like, there's loads of other things more than just food. But there is a whole cultural thing that comes with language, right? Anyone who speaks another language will know that it's not just the words that we say. There's a cultural thing that comes with it too, and it made me think of that idea of speaking Jesus. You know, with a little knowledge of scripture, we can begin to speak the language of Jesus. But it's only with submitting to the words of scripture and allowing the culture of the kingdom to seep in and change and renew that we begin to see our allegiances change. When it comes to bringing people on the journey with us, we have the opportunity to speak Jesus and to bring that culture of the kingdom into the places that we inhabit when we look at the world and we see division and we see conflict and we see people tearing each other down and we see people bound by the insecurities of identity and shame because of the things that the world has said on them, things that other people have said on them, things that even in some respects Christians have said on them. James makes it clear what happens when we're part of that world. But we have the opportunity to flip the script and to speak Jesus and to speak the culture of the kingdom into those places. So we shout Jesus from the mountains. We shout Jesus in the streets. We shout Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. We shout Jesus for our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, and those who are overlooked. We speak the holy name of Jesus. Because when people hear the language and the culture of love and of mercy and of grace and of humility, Humility, they notice it because it jars with what is so often prevalent. And so as we share stories of the grace of God in our lives, we speak of the sovereign king. We speak of the father, the friend who will stop at nothing to pursue us and bring us back into reconciliation with him. We speak Jesus and as a result we bring others on that journey towards God. Why don't we pray? And we stand.
Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're already here and that you're already with us. And I ask that you just continue to do all that you're doing. I just pray for us in this room and online afresh that we would be able to bring our stuff to you afresh this morning, that we'd be able to come in humble repentance to you and lay it at the foot of the cross and receive your grace and your mercy. And, Lord, I pray that you would empower us, empower us to speak the name of Jesus, to flip the script of the world, to bring your name and your grace and your glory into the places that we inhabit. We're going to say goodbye to the online guys just now.